Time to express yourself. Where teens talk and the world listens. Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be the Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. True peace is not merely the absence of tension, it is the presence of justice. Martin Luther King Jr. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, producer of Express Yourself and Starstyle Productions, we bring this program to the airwaves as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. Be The Star You Are once again wants to thank everyone who has volunteered and supported BTSYA over the years. We are just so thrilled to be serving the world. If you'd like to help us celebrate being a top nonprofit with a donation, please visit btsya.org. That's btsya.org. Every dollar counts, and we will use the funds for our outreach programs. Make sure to listen to Express Yourself wherever you listen to radio or music. That's iTunes, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and more. We broadcast from the Empowerment Channel on Voice America, the largest radio network in the world. Hello, I am your host, Julia. Today, we're going to be talking about overturning wrongful convictions and problems in our justice system, but also what you can do about it. In segment one, I'm going to tell you the story of Kenneth Hovland, who's faced four decades of wrongful conviction, along with some thoughts about the role of DNA testing in criminal justice and how it can possibly rectify our very flawed system. In the next segment, I'm going to be chatting with a member of Youth for Innocence about his work. First, I want to tell you the story of Kenneth Hovland, because I feel like this example shows how you can withstand so much pain and justice in your life and still bring light to the world and bring joy. So he endured four decades of wrongful conviction, but he found redemption in the craft of jewelry making. Um, all of my sources today are from the Innocence Project, so please check out their resources and educate yourself. Picture this. A young man, he's barely 23 years old, and he has all sorts of dreams and aspirations, but suddenly he is put into a living nightmare. Kenneth's life took a devastating turn in 1982 when he was wrongfully convicted of the murder. Faced with a life sentence without the possibility of parole, Kenneth could have easily just despaired and given up. But instead, he chose to defy these odds and rise above the circumstances that threatened to define him. He says that he was an animal and that would spend his whole rest of his life in prison. And he reflected on the grim outlook he got when he was incarcerated. I mean, he was facing a whole lifetime of despair, but he was determined to not be changed by the harsh environment of the prison. He decided instead he wanted to go on a journey of self-improvement. He took every single opportunity to educate himself, to learn and to grow. And he went on a quest for personal growth and personal betterment. And through this, he discovered something extraordinary, the art of jewelry making. For Kenneth, jewelry making is more than just like a little hobby, a creative outlet. It became his lifeline. Basically, a sanctuary amidst the chaos and troubles of prison life. With each piece he crafted, he slowly brought down the walls that confined him and isolated him from the outside world. It also gave him a sense of his identity. Even though he was wrongly labeled as a criminal, a murderer, he instead could take reclaim his identity with this new lifeline. So he considers himself a very easygoing and loving person. And the jewelry making, as he said, took away the hardness that the prison created. It helped a lot for therapy and just to see the beauty in life. 
But Kenneth's journey towards freedom was nothing like his mastery of his craft. It was super long and difficult. For four decades, he was behind bars, and his innocence was covered up by very flawed forensic methods and unreliable evidence. But he had support of the organizations like the Washington Innocence Project, and slowly his case gained momentum. On October 2021, after so many legal battles and unimaginable hardship, Kenneth was finally given his freedom, which is something he deserved from the very beginning. Kenneth's story is not one of just survival. It's a testament to the power of hope and resilience. With his newfound liberty, Kenneth embarked on a cross-country journey, armed a little more than his passion for jewelry making and the desire to advocate for justice. In his trusty 2011 Chevy cargo van, he travels to gem mines and artisan communities trying to learn and share his story with the world. Kenneth is actually on a mission, a mission to shed light of the flaws of our criminal legal system and to uplift those who have been wrongfully convicted. At the Innocence Network conference, he found solidarity and support with his other fellow exonerees, basically reaffirming his commitment to advocating for change. Let's not only celebrate Kenneth's triumph over adversity, but also recognize the urgent need for reform within our legal system. I mean, it was a happy ending for Kenneth, or as happy as it can be when you were wrongfully incarcerated. He got to go free. But so many hundreds of thousands of people are still in jail and still aren't free, and they might not have discovered the lifeline that was jewelry making for Kenneth. We have to stand in solidarity with those who have been wrongfully convicted and pledge to ensure that justice prevails for all. Justice is our number one. In the words of Kenneth Hovland himself, we have to take those baby steps and then learn how to walk. It's just everyday hurdles. So we should take these steps together towards a future where justice is not just a dream, but a reality for all. I also want to talk about the groundbreaking tool that has revolutionized our understanding of justice, which is DNA testing. DNA, or deroxyribonucleic acid, is the blueprint of life, basically in every single living organism. While we share 99.9% .9 of our DNA with one another, it's the 0.1% that makes us who we are, the unique individual, and that holds the key to solving crimes. The emergence of DNA technology has not only allowed us to find the perpetrators in these crimes, but also is a beacon of hope for those who have been wrongfully convicted, like Kenneth. Organizations, like I said before, the Innocence Project, are tirelessly championing the use of DNA testing to exonerate innocent individuals, offering them a second chance at freedom and redemption. Consider this. Since 1989, a staggering 575 people in the United States alone have been exonerated based on DNA testing. These are individuals who were once deemed guilty, basically written off, they're guilty, they did the crime, they did the murder, beyond a shadow of a doubt. But then their innocence was actually revealed through the power of science and DNA. But this journey to exoneration is not without many, many challenges. DNA testing in criminal cases can be very expensive, with costs ranging from $5,000 to $50,000 per case. This financial barrier often prevents those who have been wrongfully convicted from accessing the evidence that could prove their innocence. Furthermore, restrictive post-conviction DNA laws in many states further impede the pursuit of justice. In some areas, Access to DNA testing is limited to only of those convicted of capital offenses, while in others, individuals who have pleaded guilty are outright denied the opportunity to seek testing, regardless of their innocence. In some cases, these clients are pressured to plead innocent. They're told you'll get a lighter sentence. I mean, you're going to be convicted anyways. Now that they have the technology that could prove their innocence, something to fight for, basically these people are going, you can, I'm sorry. It's the law. Even if you're innocent, we don't care. And I feel like it's kind of problematic that we have a system that prioritizes just rigidly following these rules over actual justice and putting the right people behind bars. But despite all these obstacles, progress is being made. States like New Hampshire and Colorado have recently enacted reforms to expand access to post-conviction DNA testing, ensuring that all indi individuals have a fair chance to prove their innocence. But perhaps the most depressing fact is, is that not every case is 
going to have this meaningful DNA evidence to test. In so many cases of wrongful conviction, mostly those that are in nonviolent crimes or cases where evidence has been mishandled or destroyed, there isn't really DNA evidence that you can use. So even though this is saving so many people and bringing them out of jail, it also can't help everyone. So where does this leave us? Well, it leaves us with a moral imperative to ensure that our criminal legal system is just and equitable. It compels us to advocate for reforms that remove barriers to DNA testing and expand access to justice for all. Thank you so much, and please do your part. Make sure to check out our radio site at www.expressyourselfteenradio.com, buy books and t-shirts in our store, and make a donation to BTSYA. That's www.bethestarur.org. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The positive message outreach program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Hello, and welcome back to Express Yourself. Today, I'm chatting with Bijan about Youth for Innocence. Bijan is a high school senior at the Davidson Academy in Reno, Nevada. He's the founder and director of Youth for Innocence, which is an organization dedicated to overturning wrongful convictions. Originally becoming involved with exoneration work through his homeschool counselor, he has worked on many wrongful conviction cases, including the recent California exoneree Miguel Solorio with public defender Ellen Eggers, who is actually featured on episode five of The Innocence Files. His ultimate goal is to expand the organization to a worldwide scale and impact, drawing on cases and recruits across all parts of the world. In his free time, he loves furthering his economics research at the University of Nevada, Reno, playing viola and various orchestras and puzzle hunting with his friends. Welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk with you today. I mean, you're such an expert. So... I, I know a lot of our audience, they're teenagers, they don't really understand that much about like what is a wrongful conviction. Can you give us like a little explanation? Like what is that? Of course. So basically, in summary, wrongful convictions are when somebody is convicted of a crime they didn't commit. So uh, somebody is kind of wrongly accused of a crime, then they go to trial. And then even though the justice system is supposed to operate on this kind of narrative of beyond a reasonable doubt uh, in order to convict someone. Uh, sometimes people kind of slip through the cracks and they end up convicted uh, of a crime that they never committed and they might not have even been involved in in the first place. That's horrifying. I mean, some of these convictions, they change your whole life. They can take away your entire youth from you. I mean, how prevalent are these wrongful convictions? Yeah. Uh, so the most conservative estimates 
for the number of wrongful convictions state that at least 1% of the current prison population is wrongfully convicted. So this amounts to 60,000 individuals. And uh, higher estimates go to sometimes as high as 10%, which would be like 600,000 people who are wrongfully convicted in prison. 1% is still so significant. I mean, 60,000 people, that's a major, major gap in our justice system. I mean, I know you've done a lot of work on this. I mean, tell us about Youth for Innocence and your kind of process for starting it. Of course. So uh, as has already been mentioned, I originally got involved in working on wrongful convictions through my homeschool counselor. So my homeschool counselor was uh, both uh, a homeschool counselor helping me choose my classes, and she was also uh, an intern for this public defender, Ellen Eggers, who's a very prominent uh, public defender in the wrongful conviction sphere. And so I originally got involved through my homeschool counselor working on these cases. And as I, uh, as I saw the amount of work that was needed that, uh, to combat wrongful convictions, that wasn't necessarily legal work. Uh, I just had this like inner sense of justice that wanted more people to be working on these wrongful convictions. And I knew that more high schoolers and college students would be motivated to work on these cases because wrongful convictions are some of the most horrifying things ever. Uh, And so I started uh, this organization called Youth for Innocence, which basically tries to empower high school and college students to investigate wrongful convictions, which involves uh, summarizing transcripts uh, and investigating the case and presenting to attorneys. Yeah. Can you tell me the story? Like, do you interact with like the volunteers specifically? Do, is it all like online? Like, how do you kind of interact with the volunteers? Yeah. So uh, the best part of this organization is that it's able to be completely online. We're not confined to a region like kind of law offices are because the other major option for high schoolers is to uh, get involved with a local uh, law office or a local innocence project and intern for them. But many high schoolers don't have access to those opportunities and college students. So uh, Youth for Innocence is completely online. The training course for new volunteers is completely online in order to join the organization. Uh, you can visit us at youthforinnocence.org uh, and just start the training course. Once you complete the training course, I will check over it. Uh, and then we'll, once you have the necessary training, we will uh, we get volunteers assigned to a case. And so uh, because we're all online, we have volunteers all over the place. Like our director for post-conviction work is actually... Uh, from Brazil, and uh, she's a former associate of mine on uh, Miguel Solorio's case and a couple others. And uh, I think we also have one other person from Jamaica. So this is really uh, empowering high school and college students worldwide. Wow. So it's truly volunteers on a global basis. I know you have like a core team. Like who are the main people that you started with? How did you guys meet? And what was it like kind of starting your own organization as like a high schooler? Yeah. So uh, originally it was me and a couple other students who were interested in wrongful convictions and who were working under my homeschool counselor uh, to combat wrongful convictions. And uh, we kind of tried to start it, but uh, that was in kind of end of ninth grade, going into 10th grade. And uh, I really just lacked real world experience and kind of we all did. We were all kind of naive ninth and 10th graders. Uh, And the organization kind of faltered, but then, uh, and it kind of stagnated from there. But then, there was this kind of resurgence uh, in the summer going to senior year. So I reconnected with um, the other people who I had worked with and we kind of re revived the organization and really committed to uh, establishing it. And 
Yeah, so that core team uh, is mainly my associate, Helena Paladino, who uh, actually is in Brazil. Uh, she is the director of post-conviction work. And then uh, we've also uh, have Kaylee Lay, uh, who is a senior who goes to Stanford Online, I believe. And she is the director of outreach. Wow. So what kind of outreach initiatives do you have going on right now? Because I know you have like, what I'm hearing is you have your like main training course where your volunteers go through and then can actually do this like real world work. What kind of like outreach initiatives do you have? And what are your like plans for that? Yeah, so I think one of the biggest hurdles to uh, ending wrongful convictions is the fact that people don't really understand them. Uh, wrongful convictions, if you believe the, in the integrity of our justice system, wrongful convictions like can't exist. They don't make sense because uh, it's often the failings of our justice system that result in these wrongful convictions. And so through our kind of outreach, we try to educate uh, the youth mainly kind of uh, we are the youth and therefore we know what the youth would appreciate uh, and how to educate the youth. Uh, so we kind of post on social media, we write blogs, uh, and we, we have a couple of other more uh, specific outreach kind of initiatives uh, in pre-planning. But unfortunately, we're such a small organization that we uh, can't really pull those off quite yet. But I'm really looking forward to, as we grow, expanding those outreach initiatives to uh, things like having... Uh, interviewers or interviewing public defenders and uh, spreading kind of uh, all the knowledge that these public defenders have in a way that is accessible to a younger audience. Yeah, I like how you're very like you're marrying these like two aspects. There's like the educate aspect and then there's like the do like what can you do? And mm -hmm. I like how you actually provide ways where these like high schoolers and these college students can actually get involved with real cases. It's not like hypothetical. It's not just like yeah. educating. And I like how you put these two aspects together. I think that will make a huge impact. I mean, what is like your why? Like, why did you want to start this organization in particular? I mean, obviously, like the there's like devastating like holes in our justice system but like what's your personal why yeah so i guess my personal why is first of all i've always had kind of a inner sense of justice and fairness ever since i can remember i've always that's been one core value that has always stuck with me and always been very strong in my kind of actions uh and then i guess the other thing is that it's like, it was just an issue that I saw that kind of needed solving. And uh, at the time, I didn't have any other projects that I were, was working on. And I felt like uh, as kind of this person who uh, is both interested in business and economics, as well as uh, justice and like achieving justice for these uh, innocent prisoners, I felt like I was the perfect person to kind of bridge the gap between running this nonprofit and uh, actually achieving uh, tangible impact in the justice world. Yeah, you do seem like a great, like, obviously, you also are youth, right? So you understand their mindset, mm -hmm. like what they understand what they can grasp and what is a little harder to understand. But then you also have like multiple interests. I think this organization just sounds like, like that great, like intersection of like multiple aspects of your life, which I think is yeah. super cool. I mean, on your website, I was looking through it. There's like um, a person mentioned named Miguel Solorio. Um, like, correct me yeah. if I'm pronouncing his name wrong. Can you like tell me that story? Cause it seems to be very like prominently highlighted on all your like different channels. Yeah. So uh, currently Miguel Solorio is the largest exoneration that youth for innocence employees have under the, under our belt. Uh, it's not directly youth for innocence because youth for innocence was uh, established kind of after the main work was done. Uh, for Miguel Solorio's exoneration, but both Helena and I uh, worked on this case. So 
Miguel Solorio was a person in Los Angeles, California, and uh, basically he was convicted of this drive-by shooting homicide. And uh, the case was very, very weak against him. So first of all, the main way he got involved in the case is actually because the car that was used in the drive-by shooting was registered to his dad, who also had the same name. He was also Miguel Solorio. Oh, God. Uh, so I believe police and investigators are like just confused the two Miguel Solorios uh, right off the bat. And then uh, additionally, his brother was probably involved in the crime, probably uh, the, the driver uh, of the car of the vehicle that was used in the drive-by shooting. So that kind of associated him with the crime. But then uh, the main case against him was, I think, six witnesses. And at least four of those were members of a rival gang. So this was kind of a gang-related shooting uh, and involved two uh, cars, one of which was, or they were both rival gangs, and one of them was like chasing after the other with a gun. And unfortunately, uh, an innocent bystander got caught in the crossfire, and that's where the homicide happened. Uh, but these four witnesses, or four or five, it might have been even been all six, are were clearly uh, a clear case of incentivized witnesses because they were from a rival gang, and it makes no sense to have like rival gang members be witnesses, be unbiased witnesses when Miguel Solorio would be better for their gang in prison than out on the streets. Mm. Uh, because it's kind of just like rival, uh, rival populations. You want uh, the other population to be diminishing. And it's like, it, it's so it kind of makes me uh, like angry just even thinking about it. And Miguel, he, he had a very strong alibi. He had something like six alibi eyewitnesses that put him at like this party, uh, this barbecue, but uh, he was still convicted. Uh, and basically uh, 22 years after he had been in prison was when Ellen was heard about his case from Miguel Solorio's family. And then from there, it was just three years of working on this case, summarizing transcripts, uh, drafting like the writ of habeas corpus. And finally, just uh, a couple weeks before last Christmas, he was actually exonerated. And that would have been his 25th Christmas in prison, which is absurd to think about. Yeah, that makes me furious to hear. I mean, why, why do mistakes like this happen? He's so clearly like innocent. I mean, the way yeah. you're explaining it, what like yeah. from your perspective, why does this happen? Like, what is with this negligence? Yeah, I think that this negligence is kind of caused by uh, just the relationship between like police and prosecutor, uh, and just the uh, kind of, I think it all comes down to the desire to like win uh, in the sense that police want to quote unquote win or, you know, solve the case by catching somebody, just catching the, the supposed culprit, catching the person who supposedly committed the crime and prosecutors, they want to win. They want to win at trial. They don't want to lose in the sense that they, uh, the defendant gets acquitted of the crime because uh, especially for prosecutors, they view it as a very much win-loss mindset uh, where they win if they convict the person and they lose if the defendant is acquitted, even if the defendant is actually innocent. So I think that this win-lose mind frame, this kind of zero-sum game is very problematic and results in a lot of these wrongful convictions. So I guess there's just kind of an inherent injustice in our criminal system from what yeah. I'm hearing about it. I mean, 
I obviously like I've I've read about like wrongful convictions and obviously I've been like horrified in the past but oftentimes myself and like my peers who are younger were like oh well what can we really do besides like be angry and spread awareness so what work can people who are non-lawyers accomplish on these wrongful conviction cases yeah so uh first of all I mean youth for innocence wouldn't be here if there wasn't anything that uh, non-lawyers could do on cases. Uh, so I'll walk like you through what Youth for Innocence does on cases. So the first thing that we can do is summarize transcripts. And I think that uh, this forms a solid portion of the case. It's just getting to know the case, getting to know which witnesses are who, what they said. And the thing is, is that these the transcripts for these cases, the transcripts for the trials can go up to, I've seen 4,000 pages of transcript for just one trial. And lawyers don't have the time to go through that, take notes on that. Uh, it could take like six months just to make it through the trial and, and have some really solid notes. So that's the first thing that we can do is we can kind of summarize uh, the transcript in what are called RT notes and through these RT notes, we attempt to shorten uh, something like 50 pages of uh, transcript into one or two pages of notes. So it really condenses the information down and allows lawyers to speed through uh, the case. The other major aspect that non-lawyers can do is uh, investigate these uh, wrongful convictions. So even just uh, knowing where witnesses are and having their kind of phone numbers or having their emails so that you can contact them is huge because these cases were investigating them like 20 years after they happened and witnesses have moved, they've uh, adopted kind of different lives. They might be in a different state. They might be in a different country. They might be dead for all we know. Mm -hmm. So just tracking down these witnesses, knowing which ones are contactable and which ones are not is very useful for attorneys so that when they need to start writing the writ of habeas corpus, they can contact these witnesses, ask them more questions about the crime. And since it's, you know, 20 years later, people are usually more willing to give up the the truth about the crime if they were trying to hide it before, because many witnesses are involved in gangs at the time or associated with gang members. So they don't they, they fear of themselves facing harm for kind of snitching to police. But 20 years later, when uh, you see an innocent guy sitting in prison for the past 20 years, it really changes a lot of witnesses' perspectives about that. And they're more willing to uh, recant their testimony if their testimony was incorrect or provide new details that they weren't willing to provide before. So those are the two major aspects that uh, wrong that non-lawyers can do is summarizing transcripts and investigating the case. Yeah. Suppose you know of like a case in your local community where, where it's like well-known that it was a wrongful conviction or something like that. How do you get attention on that case? Like how do you get like a lawyer involved and how do you kind of fight that? Especially if you're dealing with just years and years of wrongful incarceration, you kind of have to overturn all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, firstly, one good thing that there's been about uh, government policy past decade or so is that in a lot of district attorney's offices, there's been established a specific wrongful uh, conviction unit or wrongful conviction integrity unit. Uh, they go by different names, but basically these... Uh, units are entirely dedicated to investigating past convictions and uh, overturning them if they believe that the defendant was wrongfully convicted. So that is an amazing place to start uh, if someone in the local community has been wrongfully convicted. It, like going to that wrongful conviction unit uh, is a great start, but usually you need more than just your word for it. You can't just go and say, oh, I know this person is wrongfully convicted. So I think another great, great thing to do is 
to summarize the case, I mean, that is the kind of gist of it because, I mean, lawyers uh, need to know what the case actually entails because even if somebody is wrongfully convicted, it might be impossible to free them just because there is no new evidence available. So for a writ of abeyance corpus petition, there has to be new evidence. And so lawyers need to know if they can try to get new evidence, where they would get that new evidence, because otherwise the case is futile, even if uh, a person is so obviously wrongfully convicted. So there are a couple of details about uh, what one might do if they're, if they knew someone who was wrongfully convicted. Totally. I think it is really important to note that even though like, like we, when I hear like about cases like this, I get like really angry and like impulsive. And it's really easy to like run out and be like, oh, well, I know this person is innocent, but I really like, like slow down, gather your evidence because then mm-hmm. you give an actual chance. I yeah. mean, going into like college, I know you're a senior, like what are your plans for the future? Do you want to continue to do something with this? Do you want to be an attorney? Like, what does that look like? Obviously, like no one really knows at this age. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more with that last statement. I, <laughs> uh, I don't really know where uh, I want to go, what I want to pursue. I've definitely considered law uh, and getting my law degree after my undergraduate. Uh, yeah, I don't really know where I want to go. I know that I'm heavily interested in economics, which is why I'm applying as a major in economics for undergraduate. Uh, but I definitely want to continue... Uh, bolstering youth for innocence, using my economics and business knowledge to uh, run youth for innocence and uh, grow youth for innocence into this national and international organization that stretches across uh, across worlds, across cultural boundaries with this commitment to freeing the wrongfully convicted. And so even though I don't really know where I'm going, I know that justice and wrongful convictions will continue to play a large role in my life. Yeah. Obviously, even though you don't have like the exact details of what you want to do in your future, I mean, no one does. I like that you know your core values and you know what you're very passionate about. And I think no matter where you go, you're going to make some sort of impact. I mean, it's like kind of inspiring to hear about Youth for Innocence, especially because it's a youth-led initiative. I mean, how can other high schoolers pursue their own passions to make like a real-world impact like you're doing? Do you have any like tips? Yeah, so I think that even when I was originally starting this organization, it kind of felt insurmountable. It felt like a behemoth. How am I ever going to start this organization, I have to have a website training program, social media, and the list went on and on and on of everything that I wanted to do. And it kind of became analysis paralysis where there was so much that needed to be done. It kind of felt that like insurmountable, like a, a giant mountain. Uh, and I think that the first thing that I would recommend is if you have your idea to segment Uh, every step of the way. So when I was first starting the organization, the first thing that I said is that I need to uh, establish the structure. What does the structure look like? What does the organization look like? And uh, this ties into another point, which is establishing a vision early on, because if you don't have a vision, you're not going to stay motivated. Uh, So the first step I would say is establishing a vision and then kind of segmenting tasks from there. So like my next task was to, create a website. And then my next task was to create a couple of videos for a training program uh, and even segmenting those out into many tasks that you can complete daily is a great way to, con- to make sure that you continue to work, continue to pursue that vision uh, for your organization. And then for people who don't really have an idea of what they want to do in life and in high school, I would recommend looking at or looking around you to like kind of and asking yourself what is around you what are the opportunities that are kind of laying dormant around you uh because i was not a person interested in wrongful convictions until i took a hold of this random opportunity to work with a homeschool counselor and 
that kind of led into Youth for Innocence because I just took advantage of the experience that I'd had uh, working with uh, wrongful conviction attorneys and my interest in business and economics and kind of mesh the two into this nonprofit. So I would highly encourage other high schoolers to look around them and see if there are any kind of latent opportunities that you can apply uh, your skills to that kind of have an issue that needs to be solved in some way. Mm. I mean, along the way, I'm sure you've had very many like mentors. You mentioned your Mm -hmm. like school counselor. Is there like one you want to like shout out right now? And like, what makes a good mentor? And like, as a high schooler, like, how do you get that kind of guidance? Yeah. So uh, I guess shout out to Jessica Jacobs. Uh, She was, or she was my homeschool counselor and she still continues to be an advisor for the organization. Uh, For me, I kind of got lucky because my mentor showed up in my life and kind of introduced me into this whole wrongful conviction sphere. And I understand that many other people pursue interest outside through maybe online platforms where one doesn't pick up a mentor as easily. But I would highly recommend finding a mentor, even if you are pursuing stuff online or pursuing kind of an asynchronous uh, like path, because having a mentor can prove so valuable. For example, I actually was uh, partially mentored by my college counselor. She helped me set up the website, set up the training program, and really encouraged me to kind of start delegating tasks instead of trying to take them all on by myself. And that really provided the catalyst from which the organization can grow. So I think that there are many mentors out there and uh, I would highly encourage high schoolers to reach out to people that they think would be good mentors and uh, just, you know, cold emails or uh, maybe you have connections through your parents or your friends. Just reaching out to anybody that could help guide you through your high school journey is such a great help in pursuing passion projects and kind of personal development. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of terrifying to start something like completely new, a completely new initiative. I think having like a mentor and having people who are like more, have more expertise than you can help so much Mm -hmm. with kind of making it feel more manageable and less overwhelming. I mean, if you were going to go back and give yourself like one piece of advice, like this is going back into ninth grade you, what's like the one thing you would say? And it doesn't have to be specific about your organization. It can just be about anything in general. What would you say? I guess I would have to say finding a purpose and sticking with it. So for me in ninth grade and 10th grade, I kind of felt that I lacked a sort of purpose or an, uh, an individual kind of initiative. I was involved in many different extracurriculars. I felt like there was no coherent, uh, coherent message or coherent kind of life journey that I could build from this. And I think that when I finally, you know, in introspected and uh, did introspection, uh, delved deep within myself and discovered that I definitely want to be a connector of different disciplines and branching across uh, different identities. That really helped solidify why I was doing everything that I was doing from uh, Youth for Innocence to my many other extracurriculars. And it's kind of completely changed my mind frame to where I don't look at everything I'm doing is kind of spread out and, you know, purposeless, but I view everything with a purpose. And it also helps me kind of decide what I want to do uh, in the sense that I know that I am uh, very committed to justice. And so I want to do Youth for Innocence. I know that I want to be a connector. So I want to also be involved in leadership roles and leadership activities and 
having that purpose, knowing why you're doing something really helps you stay motivated and also uh, decide what you want to do with your high school journey. I love that idea of even though you might not have every single detail, every single role you want to take on, knowing yourself and knowing your core values and what you are really passionate about just kind of helps guide you through as like eventually like what you're interested in and your extracurriculars. It's all going to evolve. It's all going to change. But knowing yourself through all that and having that integrity is so important. I mean, what's coming up for like Youth for Innocence? Are there any like new initiatives? Like what are you working on right now? And like most of all, how can everyone listening support you guys? Yeah, so uh, as Youth for Innocence continues to grow, we're kind of keep, we're, we're trying to keep develop uh, new ideas and keep improving the organization. So the main thing that I have been working on recently is actually getting us established as a 501c3 uh, filing all the forms with the federal and state governments to accomplish that. So, uh, yeah, we're constantly trying to work on uh, getting, you know, both developing our post-conviction work site and also developing our outreach side to try and recruit new volunteers and also inform the public. Uh, the biggest way that that uh, listeners can support Youth for Innocence is just by joining the organization. Like, it's not that huge of a time commitment, I would say, uh, and it's very flexible. So I would highly recommend if you have the slightest inkling for law or the slightest interest in justice to join the organization and at least start the training program, uh, just maybe do a couple steps and you might find yourself on your way to completing the course, becoming uh, a Youth for Innocence um, kind of summarizer and worker. And we really need uh, volunteers because we are a budding organization and we can't really complete these uh, amazing things without kind of uh, a human force behind them. And I would say the second the the other major way to support youth for innocence is through uh you know sharing our content on social media we're available at like at youth for innocence on like instagram youtube tiktok uh and then also uh donating to the organization or at least planning to donate in the future i know we're not a 501c3 yet but once we are a 501c3 we would really appreciate the donations because those help us do things like uh, arrange for uh, talking with prisoners, uh, tracking down witnesses, uh, just using all the resources that an organization needs to both work on legal cases and also reach out to people on social media. So donations in the future when we are registered as a 501c3, which I estimate will be in a month or two, donations would be much appreciated. Yeah, completely. I mean, besides like following all your platforms, your YouTube, your Instagram, which we'll have definitely have links for like in the description. Yeah. Um, uh, what other ways can I educate myself or anyone listening to this? Like what resources would you recommend? Yeah, so uh, I have watched many wrongful conviction documentaries and movies and uh read a couple books. So my highest recommendation is The Innocence Files. That was mentioned previously uh, in our conversation when you were talking about Ellen Eggers, who is featured on episode five of The Innocence Files. I think The Innocence Files represent the best uh, way to start learning about wrongful convictions because it spans many different types of wrongful convictions. So it talks about both uh, police, you know, misconduct, uh, eyewitness misidentification. It covers many different facets of wrongful convictions. So I think it's a great place to start. Another uh, kind of movie that I might recommend is also, if you're not into like the true crime genre, is Marshall. So Marshall is the story of Thurgood Marshall, who was an NAACP lawyer. And it's about how he kind of prevents this wrongful conviction of 
a black man uh, who really never committed a crime and is merely imprisoned because of the racism in the 1960s and 70s. So even though wrongful convicts are not imprisoned based solely on their on the color of their skin nowadays there is still a major element to wrongful convictions uh and race like uh african americans are disproportionately represented in the exonerations uh, of wrongfully convicted individuals and a lot of these wrongful convictions result from uh, kind of police brutality uh, where they kind of abuse witnesses and abuse defendants, uh, which largely occurred in poorer uh, African-American and Hispanic communities in kind of the 80s and 90s. So, uh, yeah, Marshall is kind of a great, it's a great story. I love the movie for, you know, representing Thurgood Marshall, but I also loved it for its portrayal of uh, a wrongful conviction. It's kind of cinematic storytelling of a wrongful conviction uh, while also avoiding kind of a true crime genre vibe. So if you're looking for a more uh, a more movie-esque uh, flick than a, a wrongful conviction documentary, that's another one I would recommend. Totally. And I'm even appreciating the content like Youth for Innocence is putting out. Like I took a look at your mm-hmm. like short form content, like on reels and on like YouTube shorts. And I think it's great. And I love like what you're doing with the AI. I think there's like so much potential there as well. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, even this conversation was so interesting and so important. We're out of time for today's show. But as always, we express our gratitude to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be The Star You Are, and our audio engineer, Jordan. Thanks to our guests from across the world. And a huge thank you to our listeners for making us a top rated program for more information about be the star you are charity visit www.bethestaryouare.org find us on instagram at express yourself radio justice above all quiet is not always peace and remember to speak up speak out and express yourself thank you thanks for joining us this week on express yourself Produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars that shine between. Let you